Well, I can tell you one thing that I know for sure. And that is this. If you have a task or, or something that you know you need to do that is intimidating, if you have a intimidating task you need to accomplish, project you need to do, situation you need to face, if you can break it down into steps, it'll be a lot easier to face. It'll be a lot easier to accomplish. If you can break it down into steps and deal with it a step at a time and steps at a time and even stop looking at it as one big intimidating task, but instead as those series of smaller, less intimidating steps, it can make a huge difference in how you're able to approach that project or that situation. Let me, let me give you an example. We're we're currently trying to redo our basement a little bit at a time. Um, I am not what you would call handy, but that's okay. Um, it's still kind of fun. When we first moved into our house, the basement was kind of semi-finished. Like, it was pretty well sealed up, and um, there was wood paneling on the walls and some stapled up ceiling, ceiling tile, um, but there was also some of it that was a little more unfinished where, like, the laundry and stuff was, and so we said, you know what, this is pretty doable. We can function down here uh, with some, just to have some extra space. So we threw some carpet remnants we had down there. Uh, there's some extra furniture down there. We put a TV down there. thought maybe the kids could play down there, the older kids. And maybe if somebody needed somewhere to stay, um, that wouldn't be a bad place for them to stay for a night or two. And we did have a couple people stay down there. And it was all well and good until the snake. Um, and <laughs> some, of you, some of you heard that story you know, probably six months ago or so. Um, that, that Stacy found a snake down there, um, and I was no good because I literally just got home from having surgery, and so she had to call in reinforcements to deal with the snake. Guess what? Snake gone, memory not. So, um, so that became the place we do laundry and store things, and I've known for a while, you know what? If we would redo it, if we would take all, all the ceiling tile down so we can access everything above, if we would take the wall paneling off, make sure we can see everywhere the snake could have come in, because the truth is, if I could identify where that thing came in, We'd be in a much better situation. I'm, I'm working on it. I've narrowed it down. I think I'm good. Um, now I just need to plug the hole. As Stacey keeps telling me, you just need to actually do something so that it can't get, something can't come in anyway. We actually found two snakes down there, by the way, um, two different times. Um, one was already dead, though. It was cool. She just shushed me. Y'all missed that. Um, my, own, my own wife in the middle of a sermon. And so, but I, I, I just kept looking at this project that was the basement going, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> And I didn't even start the process. I think it's such a huge undertaking. I just, and so one day I finally said, I've been waiting forever going, I know what I need to do, but I haven't done it yet because it just seemed like a huge progress. I said, okay, I'm going to start by taking down one ceiling tile. Let's see how difficult these tiles are to get down. And so I pulled down a ceiling tile and I pulled down another one. And a couple times they came down to it once and I'm going, ooh, this is not as difficult as I thought it was going to be. And before I knew it, I had, you know, taken a third of the ceiling down. The same thing when it came to the wood paneling on the walls. I said, you know what? These panels probably have 40 nails each one. This is going to take forever. And what I realized was, uh, because of the way it was attached, if I just got one edge loose at all, it just popped the whole thing off the wall. And I'm going, well, I wish someone had told me that this was going to be this easy. Because suddenly, you know, five minutes go by and I've pulled five panels off the wall because it's really not as difficult. Now, I'll tell you that the job was intimidating and it's still intimidating because I'm not even close to done. But I've realized when I've approached it a step at a time, instead of going, man, this is a big project, I have made a lot more progress than I would have if I had just sat there and said, this is too big of a project for me. And a job that was super intimidating is doable. And I've made the progress I didn't think I would. And that's how we're looking at evangelism in this message series, that, that even though it's an intimidating idea to think that it's our responsibility to share Jesus with the people in our lives who don't know him, and it is intimidating, 
that we can break it down into some small steps that if we each took those steps, I I don't think it would just lessen the intimidating factors, but it also could be uh, some very small steps in your life that could lead to someone who doesn't know Jesus coming to know him as their Savior, which is the best possible outcome that we could hope for. You see, we don't have to, to see and say, okay, every person that's in my life that doesn't know Jesus is my responsibility. That's intimidating because I know a good amount of people who don't know Jesus, and I'm guessing you do too. But if instead I say, you know what, here are some steps that I can take that will make me more effective and more available, more willing, more prepared to share when the opportunities do come up, suddenly we can make a huge difference in at least one life at a time. We started two weeks ago by talking about sharing the best part of our lives, Jesus, with the people already in our lives. That, that if there are people in our lives who, who we have a relationship with, but they don't know about Jesus, like we need to just make sure they know, hey, this is the best part of my life. And so for a lot of us, our mission field begins with our family and our friends and our coworkers, the people who are already closest to us. And if we're willing to take one small step by having a simple conversation that moves in a spiritual direction with them, that that initial conversation can be a huge thing. Because for a lot of us, it's that conversation that has held us back from making those kinds of connections with the people in our lives for God. And so I hope that you did that. I hope that you have have looked at opportunities in the last couple weeks to, to have a spiritual conversation with somebody you've never had a spiritual conversation with before. I hope that you've trusted God in that. Last week, we talked about love. And how without it, it doesn't matter if we have all the right words. It doesn't matter if we're super persuasive. A lack of love will negate most or all of what we have to say about Jesus. If love is lacking, what we have to say about God, the God of love, will probably fall flat. But if we take one small step to to not settle for the status quo when it comes to how we express love to the people around us, if we show love in a new or different way to a a different person in our lives or somebody we don't always have a lot of love for, if we take the step to say, you know what, I'm going to intentionally show them love this week, that can make a huge difference. And I hope that you took on that challenge and and trusted God in that as well this past week. Now, today's small step may seem a little bit strange, could even be seen as potentially counterproductive because it's almost like we're going to take a mini step back here. Uh, but, but even though evangelism is an outward-focused thing, I want us to turn the focus inward for just a few minutes today. You see, how we see the church, how we view the church, largely determines our view of evangelism. We can think of the church as an event, or we can think of it as a tree. Now, I'll tell you the truth. I, I grew up in church, and if there is, if, if there is one option in a, the church is this, or the church is that, or Jesus is this, or Jesus is that, or we're supposed to be this, or we're supposed to be that, if one of those options is a nature metaphor, that's probably the answer, right? Because Scripture's full of them, you know, the vine and the branches, and, and the idea of growing, and seeds being planted, and so you see it all through Scripture. So we want to be, we want to see the church as a tree, not as an event, But I'm guessing that if we're honest, we'd have to admit that a lot of us see it more as an event that happens every Sunday than as a tree, even though we wouldn't necessarily say this out loud, but in practice, that the church is something we go to more than it's something we're part of. And I know that's not everyone, and I know that that's not everyone all the time, but some of us have stretches where that's how we see or we treat the church. Other times, we're closer to seeing it as a tree, which I'll explain in a second. But, but let me break down these descriptions as they would relate to evangelism. If we think of the church as a weekly event for people to attend, then evangelism is basically doing the job of a concert promoter. 
We advertise, we get the word out, we try to find ways to entice people to come, we hype it up, if you will, and, and those things are okay. We, we absolutely do advertise, and we do want people to come and to join us for services on Sunday morning, but if that's it, if that's all we do, if that's how we see evangelism, my job is to get you here, we are missing some things. On the other hand, if we think of the church as a tree and people as the fruit of the tree, the people are a part of the church and need to be watered and nourished through their connection to the tree. We need to be nourished through our connection to the church. I remember as a kid when I would help, help somebody water, my mom or my grandma or somebody water plants or flowers, I always sprayed the flower itself. I always sprayed the leaves or if it was like you know, a vegetable garden, I always sprayed the vegetables themselves. I didn't understand that you're supposed to get the soil wet so that the roots can get that water. I thought, well, it's the plant, it's the flower that needs the water. And so I would spray it directly and say, no, you need to spray it down. I probably ruined some flowers that way. You, know, you turn that thing on high and hit a flower, it's probably not going to go well. <laughs> I didn't understand. I had to be taught that the water needs to go underneath. It needs to go down into the soil so that the roots can carry that water, that nourishment to the flowers, to the, to the vegetables, whatever it is. That's why I firmly believe that we'll struggle to grow as followers of Jesus if we're disconnected from the church because we're not getting that nourishment. We're not being watered. We're not being nurtured in that way. In fact, I would say if we just show up on Sunday and that's it, we'll struggle to grow as followers of Jesus because that's not enough. We're not connected enough to God in that. We need a deeper connection. We need, we need a deeper connection than just being a church attender. That's where a word that sometimes is just as intimidating as evangelism comes in. It's the word, word discipleship. And when we use that word, what we're really talking about is growth in following Jesus. It's possible that you've heard that word before and it's been complicated and somebody gave you a big long definition and there are a lot of other definitions for it, but it's growth in following Jesus. The path of discipleship is a path someone takes when they desire to grow and to become more like Jesus. It is a path of learning and refining and growing. Now, honesty time. For a while now, churches have struggled to be effective at discipleship. We are, no, we are no exception to that rule. Because even if we're good at inviting people to church, and even if we have solid church services that people want to attend, and even if we're getting people to the point where they're desired to claim Jesus as their Savior and be baptized, we don't always do a great job at helping them grow as disciples, grow to look more like Jesus. Sometimes, and I'm not proud of this, sometimes we baptize people and just let them go and hope they start growing. And we'll encourage them to get into a life group and encourage them to serve. And those are two huge ways you can grow. But if they don't do that and growth doesn't occur in their life, sometimes they wonder why and sometimes we don't follow up. You see, it's huge when we get the opportunity to baptize somebody. It's something to celebrate, and we absolutely do celebrate that. But we, and I mean we the church, and we as individuals who follow Jesus, have to do a better job at discipling, at investing in bringing individual people along in their faith. We need to feel that we are, in fact, responsible for one another when it comes to our growth in faith. Let me give you this as an example. Several years ago, a popular television show had a contest uh, to, to win a walk-on role in an episode of their show. Um, pretty cool thing. Some of you are terrified by that thought. Like you, have, you would have no desire to just randomly be on TV. Some of you are all about this idea. And, and so they had a contest. You just entered, no qualifications. If you win, you get to be on the show for one episode. Um, and so normally to get on a, a TV show, you have to have worked on your acting skills for years. 
Maybe have a resume that shows your acting experience in things like local theater, low-budget productions. You know, maybe, even you, maybe even you need to go to, to acting school to, to get that experience. And then maybe eventually you get your first audition, but you get denied. And you try out and you try out and you try out. And maybe you get a commercial and maybe eventually you get some more callbacks and eventually you get that to, to, to audition for that role you really want. And maybe somewhere years down the line you finally get the role you want and you get to actually be on a TV show. There's a lot of work for people who want to eventually be on TV in a situation like that. With this contest, anyone, complete amateurs, could skip the whole process real actors would have to go through, move right past all the hard work and stress, and just be given a part. Now think about this with me. That's pretty similar for us in the gift of salvation. We don't have to do the work to save ourselves. Jesus did the work. We just accept the gift like the winner of that contest would accept the role. And and those are both good things. It'd be really cool to win a walk-on role in a TV show. Some of you, I guarantee, some of you are thinking about what show you would want to be on right now. And if you weren't, now you are, because I said it. (laughs) Some Some of you are like, listen, I'm not, it sounds cool, but can I be on like... CSI and be dead guy number two, because that's about all I could handle. I'll just lay still, right? And truth, I think that takes a lot of skill. I don't know. But some of you are saying, listen, I wanna, yeah, I'm going to go, and I'm going to, this is my chance. I'm going to wow them. I'm going to sing a song when I'm not even supposed to, because it might wow somebody. You've seen the way that goes. It's a cool thing. It would be cool to win that prize. And the truth is, it, it's amazing on a whole nother level, a whole nother level that Jesus died for our sins and we don't have to earn our own salvation because he paid the price for our sins. It's amazing. But what if you won that walk-on role on the television show and you, you did a good job and you had a ton of fun and you decided and for whatever reason the show decided, hey, we're going to bring you back for another episode. In fact, we're going we're gonna to make you a recurring character on this show. We, we like you. You seem to have a, a knack for this. We're going we're gonna to bring you on. Let's make it recurring. At some point, you're going to have to start learning some things about acting. You're going to have to start refining. Because whatever made it work for that one episode, you're going to have to start learning how to, how to handle different situations, how to act. There is an art to that. There is a skill to that that you can learn. And eventually, you're going to have to start figuring it out. You're going to have to start memorizing your lines and those kinds of things. You're going to have to start figuring it out because there's a huge difference, a huge difference between winning a walk-on role for a one-time walk-on and becoming a professional actor. It takes work, it takes growth, and the same is true for us as Jesus followers. Being saved, finding out, and then believing what Jesus did for us and accepting him as your Savior, being baptized in his name, this all happens without any real work on our part. But following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, it takes growth. It means studying his word, learning from other Jesus followers, developing traits that Jesus had. And in truth, we could just be satisfied with the one-off role. We could just be satisfied with being saved and leave it there. But I believe that God has called us to more than that. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18, pretty well-known passage of Scripture if you've been around the church at all. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When Jesus gives this command, he doesn't say, go save people, get them baptized, and send them on their way. He says, teach them. Disciple them. You see, no one is meant to just be saved. 
It would certainly be easier if that were the case, but we're saved and then called to growth, to learn, to become a disciple of Jesus. And then as we become a disciple of Jesus, we're called to disciple others, to encourage others to follow us as we follow Jesus. And the more we've grown, the more effective we'll be at helping others grow. The more we've grown, the closer we are to Jesus, the more effective we'll be at even introducing them to Jesus. I believe the further we are along in our growth process, the more effective we'll be at sharing Jesus with the people around us. You see, for some of us, probably a lot of us, one small step we need to take in order to prepare ourselves for evangelism is to evaluate where we are in our growth. We need to look at ourselves honestly and be intentional about looking for growth opportunities for ourselves while at the same time being willing to be evangelistic even if we don't have it figured out yet. Some of us are saying, once I'm ready, I'll start sharing Jesus. The truth is, if you're growing, you are ready. If you are seeking Jesus daily, you are ready to help somebody else seek Jesus daily. In fact, here's how I want to put it today. I tried to put it in some simple terminology here. As the saved... We should share. We have a responsibility as the saved to share Jesus with other people. If we know him, we need to share him. But we don't have to stay right where we are. That's not where it stops for us. We don't just be saved and that's it. We need to grow. And as we grow, we should encourage others to do the same. And so I want to break down those thoughts for you for just a few minutes here. As the saved, we should share. I don't think many would argue with that statement. It's pretty clear from Scripture that we're called to share what Jesus has done for us. That that's our responsibility. A meeting between Paul and the Ephesian elders is referenced in the book of Acts. And, and listen to how Paul describes his work, his calling here. In verse 24, he says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. He says, This is my job. This is my calling. This is my responsibility. And if I don't accomplish it, my life is worth nothing. That this is the reason I am here. This is the reason I am alive. You know where he got that calling? You know where that responsibility was assigned? It's in that very passage we read a few moments ago, commonly called the Great Commission. And I believe that's still our calling to share Jesus, to share the good news about the wonderful grace of God. It's our calling. It's our responsibility. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege. And I think sometimes we miss that it's a privilege because most of us hate doing things we don't want to do. But if it's our responsibility, we'll do it. I mean, I clean out the fridge. That's kind of my thing. Um, I, I can proudly say I've done that, I think, more times than my wife has in our marriage. Uh, early on in our marriage, I said, I'm going to be the one to clean out the fridge. If it gets too full, that's, I need to take care of it. And, and those of you that handle cleaning out the fridge, you know that it's one of two games. It's when did we eat that, right? Because you've got to know whether it's worth throwing away or not. Or the more fun game of what is that? Like, I can't, if we can't identify it, it probably needs to be thrown away, but I still kind of want to know what it is, right? And how did it grow so much fur? Um, <laughs> and so I've taken that on. I've decided that's my responsibility. I'm going to take care of the fridge. I don't have to like it. I don't have to consider it a privilege, but I've decided that it's my responsibility, so I'm going to do it. And yet what we're talking about here is both a responsibility and a privilege, it's God asking us to do something we should want to do anyway. And honestly, sharing what God has done and is doing in our lives and in our world has always been important. Listen to this Old Testament writing from the Psalms, Psalm 105, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Give thanks to the Lord and proclaim His greatness. Let the whole world know what He has done. 
Sing to him, yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exalt in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Abraham, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones. You see, we're, we've, we've been called for generations to share what God is doing or has done in our lives. And so as the saved, we are called to share, to make his name known, to induce, introduce people to God, to, to Jesus who made a way for them to be saved. But then right there in that very Psalms passage, I find some solid backing for the second part of that statement, that we don't have to stay right where we are that we don't have to be satisfied with where we are in our relationship with Jesus. In fact, I would suggest we're not supposed to stay right where we are. Instead, I believe that we are called to consistent, continual growth. In that Psalms passage, Psalm 105, verse 4, it said, Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Continually seek him. There is no arrival in that statement. There is no finish line in this life when it comes to following Jesus. It is an ongoing process. It takes work. It takes effort. And there is responsibility involved. There's no promise that it'll be easy. No promise that we won't slip and fall every once in a while. No promise that it won't be a struggle. But it's an ongoing growth process that we are absolutely called to. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 15 says it this way, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly explains the word of truth. You see, it's important that we remember what we sometimes forget, which is that even though there's nothing we can do to earn salvation, it doesn't mean there aren't still things we're supposed to do, things that we're called to do. And we are called to put in the effort to grow in Christ, to spend time in his word and in prayer, to take the small steps that lead to real spiritual growth. We are never, I don't see it anywhere in scripture, and I don't believe it's there. We are never called to stay right where we are when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. And yet some of us have gotten pretty comfortable right where we are. We need that growth. We need to know that we need that growth, and we need to actually strive for that growth. It's not going to happen just because we acknowledge it. It's going to happen because we seek to grow. And when we understand that, when we're striving to grow in Christ, when we're growing, we should absolutely be encouraging others to do the same. If we're going to go to all the trouble of doing what it takes to grow, we might as well help somebody along on that path as well. I think sometimes there's a temptation to say, I'll worry about me and you worry about you. I'm responsible for me and you can be responsible for you. And we won't bother one another and we'll be better for it. But when it comes to the family of God, when it comes to growing in Christ, I think we have, I think we have a responsibility to one another. To encourage one another in growth, to disciple one another, to spur one another on. And it's not all because uh, God is the one who brings growth. Or it, it's because God is the one who brings the growth. It's not all on us. But we get to play a role. We get to have a part in this. I love the way that Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Beginning of verse 6, he says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field. You are God's building. 
You see, we are God's workers. And, and I go back to what I said about sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves and we say, it's all on me to get this person to come to Jesus. No, you're just playing a role. God creates the growth. And the same is true as we're trying to bring somebody along in discipleship. We put it all on ourselves. If this person isn't growing, it's on me. No, we get to play a role. But God brings about the growth. God brings about all of the growth. That's the work that we're called to, to to walk along beside our brothers and sisters in Christ and to help them grow. And then to bring along new brothers and sisters in Christ, to introduce them to Jesus, and then to not leave them behind, to walk along beside them and to help them grow. And it's a work that will keep us busy. It's a work that will at times seem fruitless and thankless, but it's a work that is vital and that we are called to. We are called to be connected to Jesus, to bring others to Jesus, and to make sure that they are connected to Jesus, not just knowing him, but growing in him. John chapter 15, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered in a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. You see, in order to continue to grow, we have to stay connected to God, to the church, to one another. We have to rely on each other on God and on the church to help us to grow. If we try to walk this on our own without those connections, we might as well have been cut off from the plant, and it's not going to happen. You know, if you go out to your garden, you cut something off and throw it out in the yard, eventually it's going to rot because it's not connected to the life-giving source. You see, God doesn't just want saved people who connected long enough to, to see him and get baptized and then never connected again. He wants followers, true disciples who are connected to him and one another. When it comes to evangelism, my, my, my challenge to you today, the steps I want you to take today, there are really two of them. Number one is, is to examine yourself and say, am I as connected to Jesus as I need to be? Am I growing? Am I learning? Am I seeking him? Here, here's the thing. You are the only one who knows the answer to that question other than God himself. Because you can put on a good front and say, I'm growing, I'm doing good, I'm at church every Sunday, so everybody assumes I've got it all figured out. You can look at your life a year ago, or five years ago, or if you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, longer than that ago, and say, am I the same person I was then, or have I grown? In some cases, you're going to say, you know what, I'm exactly the same person. My relationship with God is exactly the same as it was then. That means you're not growing. Some of you would say, I've regressed. No, I'm not the same person I was then. I'm actually farther from God. You know, and we have to be willing to look inside our hearts, to look at our own lives and say, am I growing or not? And if the answer is no, we have to not be satisfied with that. So that's the first step is to be willing to say, am I growing? And then number two is in the moments when you do have the opportunity to reach out to other people, is your goal going to be to simply introduce them to Jesus to make the connection? Or are you willing to bring them along, to to help them connect 
to Jesus and grow and learn and seek him. Because the truth is, I'm not sure we should be reaching out to people for Jesus if we're not willing to walk along the path with them, if we're not willing to walk that with them. You see, I love sports growing up. I love playing sports growing up, um, soccer, basketball, baseball. Obviously, my, my athletic physique gives that away. Um, clearly, I just appear to be quite. Those of you that have been to a softball game, you know, that me 12th, it's okay. Um, <clears throat> but I, lo- I love sports. I still do today. I was never great at them. I made one all-star team. I think it was pity, but that's okay. But what, I ha- what all those years had in common was I had a ton of great coaches over the years. I had so many great coaches, guys who invested in us and taught us how to play and how to be good sports and play fair and have good attitudes, taught us how to lose, something I think we're kind of missing today sometimes. They taught us that it was okay to lose and that you can still smile and have fun um, in those situations. And so those guys all had a, an influence on my love of sports. But when it came to a love of playing sports, it started with my dad. And I can tell you this for certain, if my dad had handed me a baseball and said, go out in the yard and teach yourself how to play baseball... I probably wouldn't have grown to love baseball. Or if he had handed me a basketball and sent me out to the hoop in our driveway and said, go figure this out, I probably wouldn't have uh, developed a love for, for sports in that way. But that's not what he did. He came right out there with me. And I can't tell you how many nights after a long day of work, he would pitch to me in our side yard. We had some space, and he would always pitch to me. And uh, or he'd say, hey, let's, get in the, let's go to the batting cage. You know, sometimes he'd come, come home early just to take me to the batting cage before a baseball practice just to warm me up or stuff like that. Sometimes I didn't want to do it, and he'd say, hey, let's go out and shoot a couple more hoops, so let's go out and throw a few more pitches. You know, he wanted me to, to develop my skills, but he didn't expect me to only do that on my own. And so that was a key piece of my childhood, you know, developing a love for sports. And the truth is, if we bring someone along to the knowledge and belief that Jesus died for them, and he's worth following, that's great. Like, that's really important information that we need to give them. But I'm afraid if we don't then continue to walk with them, to teach them, and at the same time be teachable, if we don't serve them while at the same time serving alongside of them, if we don't actively disciple them, walk the path with them, they may not grow in Christ the way that they should. And in that, I don't think we'll be growing in Christ the way that we should. You see, here's what I believe, that the cycle of discipleship is ongoing. It is a never-ending cycle. You may not feel qualified to disciple someone, but everyone needs to be discipled and everyone needs to be discipling someone else. There is someone farther along in their faith than you. Learn from them. Seek them out and ask them to be a bigger and deeper part of your life. Ask them to, to disciple you, to be a person that you can lean on, that you can bounce ideas off of, that you can you know, take concerns to. Additionally, there's someone not as far along in their faith as you are. Maybe someone you've just introduced to Jesus. Maybe they haven't even actually made that decision yet. Don't hand them the basketball and send them out to the hoop by themselves and say, figure it out. Be willing to lead them and teach them and encourage them and walk beside them. Don't send them to follow Jesus on their own, but walk with them and allow them to walk with you as you seek to follow Jesus. You see, there's this issue. Sometimes we feel like we're alone on the path that we're walking when it comes to our relationship with God. And and there's really two two things that that come to mind when I think about that. First of all is this. It's hard to, to walk on your own. And it can be frustrating. 
to feel like you're by yourself. Have you ever participated in a, in a tug-of-war match? I always got to be the anchor. It was fun. Anchor is the best job. Just don't let anybody fool you. It is. You get to wrap the rope around you. You got to be careful so you don't end up actually tied in it. But you get, you get to pull the rope around you and just lean back. I'm really good at leaning. <laughs> but, but here's the problem. There, there were times when I would be on a tug-of-war team, and I was pretty highly recruited for tug-of-war most of the time, where I would lean back and I would feel like there is no way anybody else is doing anything. Like, I am doing all the work here. Like, why are you guys, like, you guys aren't even trying. And it would be frustrating because all I had to do was lean, but they had to pull, you know, and those ropes can hurt your hands. And, and so they'd be getting tired, but all I'm doing is leaning, and I would think I'm doing all the work. There were moments where I would want to quit in that situation. I'd say, listen, if I'm the only one that's going to do this, if I'm the only one that's actually going to try, why would I bother? And sometimes that's how we feel when we're trying to follow Jesus. We feel like we're on this path by ourselves and we're going, I am the only one who is trying. Why is this even worth it? Now, the other side of that is, is sometimes we feel like we're walking alone. And, and the truth is, when we are feeling like we're walking alone, it's a lot easier to feel like, you know what, I, I can just quit this. And nobody's going to say a word. Nobody's going to notice because nobody else is here. We need to make sure that we are not on that path alone. Because then we'll realize there are people that are tugging right along with us. And there are people who will tell us, no, it's not worth quitting this. If you find yourself walking the road of following God, trying to be more like Jesus by yourself, don't allow that to be the way that it stays. Make a connection. Find people who are walking that same walk and, and disciple one another. You have things to teach. You have things to learn. We all need each other as we walk this path. Refuse to walk it alone and refuse to let anybody else walk it alone. Let's pray. God, wherever we are at this point in our relationship with you, thank you for putting the people in our lives who got us to this point. And God, that looks different for all of us because we're all in different places and different people have different effects on us in different ways. But God, thank you for those people who spoke into our lives that got us at least to this point today. But God, I pray that you would continue to provide the people in our lives who will help to refine us, to help us grow and, and sharpen us and challenge us and keep us accountable, all of those things. God, because our goal is to follow you and to look as much like your son as possible. God, thank you for sending Jesus to be our example of how to live. But more importantly, thanks for sending him to die for our sins. And God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. That our focus would be on what the cross, that gift, that sacrifice truly means for our lives and for our eternity. God, help us not to, to take for granted the opportunities we have to share that amazing news with the people in our lives. And God, if we get the opportunity this week, I pray that we would share it, and I pray that we would begin to walk alongside those people as they come to know you. God, we're in this together. Help us to, to act that way. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.